Welcome back to season two of the Ivy League Prep Academy podcast, equipping you to successfully pursue the college of your dreams. We believe everyone deserves to reach their full potential and the admissions process shouldn't hold you back. Today I wanna talk about the fact that nearly everyone who's preparing for college, and we're talking about teenagers and parents alike, nearly everyone is frustrated, they're stressed out, they're anxious and confused. And I think it all comes down to some really simple misconceptions around how admissions officers read your applications and how people should be preparing for college. Because what most people do, whether you're starting in eighth grade to think about college or whether you're starting in 10th grade, whether you're a parent, whether you're a teenager, what most people do is they ask the same question for nearly all of their activities, for their class schedules, for their extracurriculars, for their everything. And that question is, What's more impressive to an admissions officer? What is the admissions officer looking for? Now that seems to be a logical question to ask. If you want to get into college, you have to pass through the admissions officers who decide who gets in, right? And so it seems reasonable until you get all the way to senior year, you've spent four years spending all of high school working harder than everyone else so that you can do the most impressive things in the most impressive ways. In order to get there, you probably sacrificed fun and sleep and friends along the way. And you figured, you know what? I'll sacrifice things that I care about now for just a few short years because the rest of my life I will benefit by going to a college that's highly selective or that's higher ranked or whatever, right? And so, so many people feel like that's a sacrifice they're willing to make. And then senior year comes along, they submit their applications. And perhaps at that point, they begin to discover that, you know what? Everyone was asking the same question this entire time. And all of us kind of have the same sense for what's more impressive. If you give us two options, almost everyone is going to choose one option as being more impressive than the other option. And so all of us have the same sense of what the answer might be. And we're all asking the same question. And guess what happens? If there are 30,000 or so high schools in North America, and all of them have ambitious students, all of them have at least one top student, all of them have a student body president, all of them have a valedictorian, all of them have an orchestra and sports teams and debate teams and all of the other activities, and all of them are filled with at least a few teenagers, and many of them with lots of teenagers, who are asking the same question. What's more impressive, this or that? And so we have tens of thousands of high school students around North America, all fighting to be the most impressive. And that means all of them are turning in an application that looks almost identical. So if you are following this strategy, if you are trying to be the most impressive person in your school, then you might succeed. It might take incredible effort throughout high school for you to do this, but you might succeed. You might be the top student you might be the student body president on top of being the valedictorian, and you might have a perfect SAT score, and you might be first chair orchestra or something else, or maybe all of the above. And then you turn in your application and discover that there are 30,000 other high schools. There are a lot of people who were number one in their high school class. There are a lot of people who are student body president, and there are a lot of people who score perfect test scores and get great grades just like yours. And so you turn in your application and you feel like you're exactly the kind of person that's going to be admitted to a top tier school. And that's why everyone is so surprised when people like this year after year after year 
people like this are rejected from many, if not all, of the schools that they apply to, especially if they only apply to schools that have very low admission rates. Well, that only exacerbates the problem because then the parents in Facebook groups around the United States are chatting about how impossible this whole thing is, how unreasonable it is to ask our students to be so perfect that they have to cure cancer and they have to do amazing things in addition to being students and figuring out who they are as they grow and hormones and everything changes within them. All of this is just so unfair and it's cruel and it's just not right. And as long as you are thinking about college admissions through that perspective, that the more impressive person wins, that the admissions officers are trying to figure out who's more impressive, and that in order for you to be more impressive, you need to do the same thing that everyone else is doing, but do it better than everyone else. And if you forget along the way that there's no such thing as being a better valedictorian than someone else, it's just that there are 30,000 valedictorians. And you can only be up to number one in your class. You can't be above number one in your class. That's as high as it gets, but there are 30,000 other classes. There are 30,000 other schools producing a number one student. And so fighting all four years to be the best that you can be inside of your school, to be as impressive as possible, to always take the higher, more difficult path so that you can be more impressive. Ironically, or paradoxically, it turns out that you end up submitting a really boring application because all of the most ambitious teens did the same thing. In fact, we have an incredible example of this with Iris, who I interviewed twice on this podcast a couple of years ago. Iris was the top student in her class. She had lots of AP classes and she scored fives in all of them. She was a varsity athlete. She had a rock star SAT score. She did everything that you would want to do in order to be competitive. And she was the best student in her class. Everyone thought she would get into her dream college, which was Stanford, or at least one of the Ivy League schools. And so everyone was surprised, including Iris, when she was rejected from all of them. And the good news is, of course, if you've listened to my podcast, you already know this story. The good news is Iris was trying to graduate a year early because most of her friends were a year older than her. And so she applied as a junior. She was ready to graduate and had everything set up. And so when she was rejected, she decided to try again, right? Try with a different approach. And that's when she gave this approach a chance. Now for Iris, she didn't discover that she wasn't admitted to any of the schools she wanted to go to until really late in the game, right? Because Ivy Day is so late during your junior year. So once that happened and she decided to come back for her senior year, she only had a limited amount of time. So she dropped out of tennis. She dropped out of band and orchestra. She dropped all of her clubs and everything that she could get out of so that she had time to do this different approach, right? to try it again, but this time to go through the same approach that we teach in the Ivy League Challenge. First, she figured out her core values. It took her a couple of months, but one of her core values that she discovered through this process was gender equity. And one of the things that violated her core values was the fact that every single economics textbook that she had read, and she was an economics star, she loved economics, every single book she had read was gender biased. And of course, that's not right. Why would economics textbooks be gender biased? And so she began to put together a gender neutral introduction to economics, an economics textbook, if you will, for middle school students that was completely gender neutral. All of the texts, all of the examples, all the images, everything in the textbook was gender neutral so that people could just learn economics regardless of what gender they were. And she worked together with a professor to make sure that it was a valid and an appropriate message, that everything was correct inside of the book. And she it couldn't apply early decision, as you can listen to for yourself if you want to listen to her, her tell the story in her own words. She couldn't apply early decision because she just wasn't ready. She didn't have the impact project completed yet. But by the time 
She needed to apply for regular decision. She had already finished the book, published it, and distributed it to a couple of middle schools in her area. And the second time through, having dropped sports, dropped music, dropped almost all of her clubs, dropped pretty much everything that didn't absolutely matter to her, and replacing it with a clear message in her application about her core values and how she is someone who acts to make her community a better place by resolving problems or solving problems that violate her core values. That was the message that she brought the second time around. And as most of you already know, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that she was admitted to several Ivy League schools the second time around. Same person, just a different approach. Less impressive application in so many ways, right? No longer in sports, no longer in music, no longer in all of those clubs. All the things that she had been doing to be impressive, dropped them all, replaced them with clarity around who she is and how she would fit into the freshman class and evidence that she is the kind of person that she says she is, that she will make that kind of impact when she gets to college. And so she was admitted to several Ivy League schools and Stanford, where she's now wrapping up her bachelor's degree in economics, last time I spoke with her. And so she's an excellent case study, because what we discover is that what admissions officers say is actually accurate. It's actually true. Admissions officers say over and over and over again, we're not, it's not a race. We're not trying to stack up all the applications and just find the smartest person or the hardest working or the most qualified and then try to find 2,000 clones of that person. We want to find a rich, diverse class of students. And in order to shape that class, we need to know who you are and how you fit into the class. And then we need to know how you're going to impact this class and make sure that our class is going to be really productive so that everyone graduates here after four years and goes out and makes the world a better place. And what better way to give the admissions officers what they're looking for than to explain to them exactly who you are by sharing what your core values are, who you are, and then sharing how you impact your community, which gives them evidence that you're going to continue making a positive impact after you get to campus. And your past success is going to be highly indicative of future success. You're exactly the kind of person who might go on and change the world for the better because you've already made your own smaller world a better place. And the best part of all of this is just, it is so exhausting to try to be the best at everything, to try to be quote unquote impressive in everything, but to be locked into only activities that you can do inside of school. So there's limited spots in these most impressive categories to get out of that game and stop playing that game and stop burning out and stressing out and trying to do more than is humanly possible. And then sacrificing your sleep to try to fit it all in. And then trying to operate based in sleep deprivation and exhaustion which inevitably is going to lead to frustration and discouragement and self-doubt and this terrible downward spiral that leads to teenagers having terrible mental health, right? We don't need that outcome and it's not necessary. Instead, you can get rid of that stress and that discouragement and that overwhelming sense that you just aren't doing enough and focus instead on what matters to you, your core values on what kind of positive impact you can have on your community. Because if you can focus on your core values and explain who you are in a deep and meaningful way, then it makes it really easy for the admissions officers to see where you fit into the freshman class that they're shaping, into that ecosystem, that rich, diverse ecosystem that they want to create. And if they know where you fit and they're convinced that you're going to make a positive impact while you're on campus, and they believe that you're highly likely to go on and write best-selling books or be a thought leader in, a, in your field or start businesses that make the world a better place, then yeah, you're their dream candidate. 
And so that is why we approach things the way we do in the Ivy League Challenge. That is why we get away from the busy work and the ticking off boxes and the attempt to just be impressive at all costs. And instead, we replace that misunderstanding, that misguided strategy with first figuring out your core values and second, figuring out how you can make a positive impact in your community, because that's how you build genuine skills and genuine confidence. And that's how you become the most competitive candidate possible in a healthy way. Music for this episode came from We Are Here by Declare P. I'm Steve Gardner. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share with a friend. Thanks for listening.